Hey, welcome to episode six of Terminal Talk. Big number six. Yeah, and a big week for mainframe fans. Yeah, really big week. We've got the uh, the Z14, brand new mainframe out there. We'll, we'll no doubt be doing a lot of uh, stuff about that on upcoming podcasts. Yeah, I saw about it on Twitter this week. Yeah, I was, I was kind of uh, going a little bit Twitter crazy uh, posting. I might have lost a couple followers, but, you know, I, I gained some important ones. There you go. Speaking of Twitter, uh, I want to put a special thank out there, thank you out there to everyone who's been uh, helping promote the podcast, telling everybody about, you know, what cool stuff we have on it. Uh, between Twitter and Reddit, it's, uh, you know, it's it's great to see uh, people enjoying the show and passing the word along. That's yeah, great. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So keep that up. It, it definitely helps. So our guest today is uh, Britton Belmar. He's a senior. Hey, Frank. What? Frank. What? Um, before you get going with uh, with our main interview, uh, I, uh, I I mentioned that I was at the Z14 launch. Yes, I remember. Yes, and uh, I, I had some conversations there. Yeah, you talked to Ross, did you? Um, no, no. Okay. He, uh, I did have a very important conversation. I, I pulled some strings, and I managed to uh, get a very special guest for uh, a brief interview on today's show. Oh, like a special interview. Very special interview. So, uh, Frank, if you'll direct your attention over to the door, we have with us a Z14. Whoa! Look at that, Z14. Watch it over there. Watch your neck. I didn't think it'd get through the door. They have gotten smaller, haven't they? Amazing. Cool. Well, this is really a this is really a treat. Hey, uh, this is awesome! Welcome yeah, to the pod. This Jeez, is exciting. I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> Did you walk all the way over from the uh, manufacturing floor? <laughs> <laughs> D- does that mean that you uh, that you qualify for mobile workload pricing? <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. <I had> to <laughs> go. So I did see that you have like 170 processors now. Yeah, and like 32 terabytes of storage. It's uh, you're, you're not messing around. Seems a little excessive. Are we compensating for something? Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes oh, sense. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess that makes a lot of sense. Is there's some stuff that uh, big memory footprint that you want to be able to do in real time then, instead of a uh, overnight batch? So that's that's a big change. That that's a huge uh, huge difference. Dan, I'm not sure everybody is familiar with the fact that those 170 processors are really focused on the work. You've got a lot more specialty engines kind of managing I.O. and stuff on the side, right? And, and, and we're still calling it storage, not memory. And just, just to make sure on that. <laughs> So, um, this uh, pervasive encryption thing... Uh, that's so- sounds scary. Big, right? Sounds scary. Yeah. Well, I know it's important because I want to make sure you're protecting those pictures of me with a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, everyone's seen those pictures. Oh. But, but especially for, for customer data, I'd imagine that's, that's, that's going to be a huge selling point. So, uh, all this... Talk. Um, you've been doing a lot for the, the launch, and you're going to be all over the world. You must have some pretty good tales from, from the, the road. road. 
<laughs> oh, it's uh, like like that Seinfeld episode. Yeah, <laughs> we've all been there. Huh? Yeah, yeah, more than more than a couple times. Ooh, oh, geez. might have to bleep that one. <laughs> I think so. I'll make a note of that. So, uh, you know, you've been around a while. I've been around a while. You know, um, can I still do token ring with you? <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't think we'll be holding our breaths for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Charlie, uh, our announcer, was actually wondering about toggle switches and uh, magnetic core memory. Is there... No? No. Uh, not surprised, yeah. not surprised. Uh-oh. But it would be kind of cool, throwback, you know, maybe you should just yeah. give them away. Yeah, like a Z14 retro edition. So, so speaking of retro, have you have you had a chance to get any uh, tips and pointers from uh, from Z13 at all? <laughs> well, yeah, you do a great Z13 impression. Yeah, real uncanny, <laughs> uncanny. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's probably just the jealousy thing. Yeah, not well, the new shiny. Enough. I wouldn't take that personally. So I, I know you're you're busy. You're, you're, you keep looking over at the door. Uh, you've got a lot more interviews lined up. Uh, you got some press stuff. Um, and any parting words for listeners of this podcast that want to know all about the Z14? Hmm. Mm, that yeah. that's profound. I I never thought of it that way. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah, I think we should get that printed on T-shirts. Yeah, big bold letters. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, we all feel that way about X86. <laughs> well, this has been awesome. Yeah. Uh, really appreciate all the time that you have, uh, knowing that you've been very busy. So, thanks a lot for coming. Yeah, thank you. Well, that was awesome. Yeah. Well, now for the main attraction. Uh, we have with us Breton Belmar, who is the STSM in Millicode. And this this was uh, fascinating because you could spend your entire career in mainframe and have no idea what Millicode is and what it does, yet you interact with it every single day. It affects everything you do. So uh, I learned a lot from this. Yeah, it was, it was, once he got going, he was yeah. a little slow to get started, but once he did, it was awesome. I think he was a little scared of us. I don't know why. <laughs> Here comes a podcast with all the bells and whistles. It's Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. So we're with uh, Brenton Belmar, uh, newly minted STSM in the Code design. Very nice. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, Brenton, can, can you start with uh, what is Code design? Well, let, let, let's start with what's Code, then, then we can expand on, on the design um, pieces of it. So so Millicode is a layer of firmware that runs on Z. It's it's the the lowest level of firmware that runs on top of the processor. So the Z microprocessor with, with the Nest and all the other pieces. Uh, there, there needs to be a, a firmware layer to basically pull them all together as one coherent uh, uh, function. And, and Millicode basically implements any instruction that is on Z that is too complicated to be done in 
on silicon. Uh, we also do recovery functions, like when you update your your firmware or your driver on, on Z. Millicode is intimately involved in that process. Like when you do concurrent upgrade, like you you have a, a, a two-book system and you want to add another book, right? Millicode is, is key to that process. Um, or you want to repair a book. You want to take a book out and add more memory and, and put it back in with your workload still running. Millicode is is involved with that. What what's a book? So so a book is is <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> so we used to call it notes, by the way. Uh, <laughs> now now they're books. It's it's a, oof, a piece of the the hardware that in, encapsulates the the chips, the microprocessor chips, as well as uh, the uh, system controller chips, and they I don't know when we start introducing the single chip modules is the next machine or the previous machine wow this is, <laughs> it's, it's, too much detail too much detail. yeah I, I i know i know that's why i paused before i went into that segue um yeah it's it's uh, an element that basically creates a node in the system where where you have uh, a, a bunch of processors on this particular piece of hardware that slides in into the into the mainframe and that's how you expand it the cost the, the scale the number of engines that the customer can use so uh, the way the way you describe it, it sounds like Millicode is the is the layer that people actually program to. Underneath it is all this other stuff. So Millicode would do things like, oh, oh the the parity doesn't seem to be right on this processor. I need to I need to do something. Millicode is responsible. For. So 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 one one area where you can use that particular function in Millicode is is recovery and and really recovery in this particular instance is a case where a particular piece of hardware is broken on this chip, right? And and we can't seem to get around it. We we try a few times to to recover and it, it's it's still failing. And in that case, we would move the workload to a different spare processor and running on the system. And, and that's usually transparent to the customer. The customer doesn't know that this this failure occurred. However, um, um, IBM support is notified in, in the event that we no longer have um, any spares available, right? And, and and then development will look and see why why did this processor fail? We we get a, a defect and we take a look and see oh okay it's it's a known issue or it's something new and we'll we'll track it appropriately. But, but Millicode isn't responsible for contacting the service, right? Millicode. No, no. It, it basically it's it reports the event in a log in the system, and then the processes just you know process the logs and, and generates the reports outside of Millicode. So, so Millicode is is responsible for doing you know reporting on on problems. What else would I expect it to do? So one one of the, the, the key aspects of Millicode is also um, the, to facilitate virtualization, right? So, so ZVM, um, the, the instruction that we use, not even sure I'm allowed to. Yeah, you could mention Psi. Psi, oh, okay, yeah. So, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, we, the, this, the instruction called Psi, Stat Executive, um, Interpretive Execution. Uh, that instruction is, is key for, for ZVM, ZOS, and, and Linux KVM. Maybe I'm, I'm trying to mentally piece together the, the, the code sandwich that's kind of being built. Like there's millicode, yeah. firmware, yeah. application code. Yeah. Can, can you kind of describe sure. it top to bottom? Sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. So on, on running in Z, there's a hardware the processor on top. Right on top of that is millicode. On top of millicode, there's also i390 code, which is basically uh, 
a function of firmware, firmware that does I.O. type of operations. Any long-running operation for I.O., it will be done in I390, you know, to support up the, the subsystems in, in, in I.O. subsystems on Z, I390 gets involved. On top of that, there's the LPAR layer. On top of I390 is the LPAR layer. And then on, on the LPAR layer, then the OSs stick on top of that. Okay. So ZOS, ZVM, ZLinux, et cetera. And where, at what level, how far down does the operating system or does an operator have visibility to, to code? Like I've, I've loaded Millicode before, like through the SA, but yeah. like, ha, can I get access to that I390 code? Do I ever see it? No, you don't. You don't see it at okay. all. Yeah. So, so I390 has, has primitives that the instruction that they use um, uh, that's implemented in Millicode. So, so I two ninety want to do something specific within the hardware. It can't do it directly. Got to go, go through Millicode. Just like the complex instructions that that's available to ZOS or or, or ZLinux, they know it is an instruction. They don't know if it's in hardware or or in Millicode, right? And that's where, you know, the transparency where you can't tell if an instruction is in Millicode or or hardware. Right. So you, you yeah. mentioned that when there's a failure in a, in a chip or something like that, and it's able to do recovery and fail over, the customer doesn't know. So the application has no idea. Exactly. That, yeah. We, we get kind of an idea of Millicode, and it sounds like it's kind of a thankless <laughs> uh, level. Nobody knows about sure. it. It's, it's hidden. Yep. Right. Um, so, so what kind of things do you do uh, to design this? How come it's not all done already? What, what, do, you, what do you do? Yeah. Well, it's, it's hard, right? For one, it's implementing assembler, so you know how, how – Oh, hi, that is. <laughs> yeah, well, Assembler is a self-documenting language. <laughs> okay, no need to write any comments. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> as long as you know the three-letter code, you're good. Come on. Aren't there some with four? Some are. Yeah. And some are two. There you go. Some are one. <laughs> wow. That's true. Yeah. That's ballsy. <laughs> Yeah. So outside, outside the fact that you're writing assembler. By the way, a, a fun fact, right? There's there's a I think approximately 1100 uh, Z architect instructions. Um, a third of that is Millicode implemented. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was actually going to be one of the questions. How oh, much of okay. it is Millicode and how much is it right yeah. there? On a, yeah. A third. Yeah, about a third. Yeah. Wow. So do you guys uh, get together in the morning, you have a cup of coffee, and you go, we're going to create a new instruction today, and it's going to look like this? Or I mean, what, what, is, what does your day look like? Is, is the, and, and to follow up with that, is the focus on creating more or slimming it down? The, 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 the focus mainly is saying no on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not going to do this, right? Uh, the, the, and, the, and the push is coming from the, the OSs or the application. They, they want new features and functions, and they don't care if it's hardware or millicode. In fact, from their viewpoint, it, it's all hardware, right? They, they, they don't make any distinctions, or, or they shouldn't, because sometimes, depending on generation, this instruction may be implemented hardware, and the next generation, it, it switches back to millicode. And there's a few handful of them that goes back and forth for several um, design reasons. Um, so, but daily, it's it's looking at issues from from you know within our test environment, uh, making decisions for the, the future systems, uh, and those decisions could be involved involved in in terms of we only have this much resources to dedicate to to create a new function, so we we don't have the bandwidth to do it. Maybe the next machine, right? And of course, there's always pushback. Well, you know, can we do it? We need to do it. It's it's important for the business. 
And and we have to make those those trade offs on a, on a daily basis. Does normally stuff get done in Millicode first, and then um, gee, this instruction makes sense. Maybe we really should put in the hardware. There's there's some instructions that that fall into that category. Yes, and and typically it moves over if the customer is using it a lot. So there's there's some overhead for Millicode, right? And if it's a small instruction, that overhead could be significant for the the, the runtime of the instruction. So if we can remove that overhead and just implement it directly in hardware, then there's some benefit to the customer in terms of performance for that given instruction. So when when you're looking at Millicode and you're saying, gee, maybe we should make this a hardware instruction, um, do you go out and talk to customers about that? No. Or how, how do you get the information about how heavily something I, I would imagine used? if they asked customers, they'd probably say, yes, make that faster. Yes, yeah. make that faster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. But, but of course, like why are you asking? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. This thing that you use all the time, you're cool with it being a little yeah. slower, right? <laughs> well, I mean, how do you know how often stuff is being used? What, how do you know, hey, this has been in Millicode for, for the last five years, but now suddenly we really should think yeah. about putting it into hardware? So, so we have a performance team that evaluates or simulates um, workloads from customers. And based on the numbers that they see, they can, they can basically point us in the direction that, hey, this instruction is being used heavily in, in, in today's uh, workloads. Perhaps we should consider making it a little faster. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean it has to go into hardware. What we would probably do is take a closer look at the instruction and see if we can make improvements to the assembler, uh, the way it is, is currently implemented. And, and sometimes there, there's, there's opportunities for that. Without getting too inside here, yeah. um, the diagnostics for, for calculating performance on these things, is, is are there built-in tools or is there like some sort of special device you have to wheel up to it and hook <laughs> up with a giant? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're actually built-in tools that uh, that we can run on customer machines. Okay. Yeah, that collects and samples this data. And, the, and the, 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 these these counters or, or measurement facilities, they're built into the hardware. So we can collect them and then post-process them. Uh, later in the lab. So I have this uh, image of uh, Brenton running into some customer's machine with a lab coat on. <laughs> I was saying, let me check the performance of you. <laughs> no, not, not, not quite. Like checking the odometer. You can say, I can, I can see you haven't been flossing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, typically what happens is we, we get a, a defect saying, you know, the performance on this particular release of code is bad. And, and, you know, 15 releases ago, it was good. What happened in between? And sometimes a lot of stuff changes in between. And, and it takes a long time to, to track down where this went sideways. And, and, and that's, you know, one of the things that I get stuck with on, on not, not on a daily basis, but from left field, it comes in like, oh, this is critical. Customer has seen an impact to this. How, what happened? We need to fix it immediately. And, and of course, immediately, is not always possible. It takes a long time to get get all the, the the answers straight. And at that point, you have what was it like eleven hundred argument or commands that you have to look at as oh, a possible oh, absolutely. candidates. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you build like like a histogram of everything and say, well, this is the the heavy hitter? And well, we we sort of take a, a glance at okay, what what has changed since then, and and depending on where the the problem area is, you know, we can sort of ignore some of the recovery type uh, changes that went in that, you know, this is not in the mainline function, we can ignore those. And those are typically the ones that don't impact performance um, directly. 
Of course, they can make changes that would that have uh, performance implications. But uh, normally, in a, in a straight run, it, it the customers does doesn't see a recovery event on every instruction, right? Hopefully so, not. Right. <laughs> right. But unless <laughs> using my code, I was waiting for that one. What's the instruction code for everything's on fire? Oh God. <laughs> Great. I, I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> we call that the Frank construction. Right. I was trying to remember what your middle name was. <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about uh, what, where you you guys um, do some of the testing. We've talked a little bit about what, what what the system is, all that kind of stuff. What, as a designer, what do you normally? Uh, due to design, so so we get some direction from the brand or, or indirectly through customers that we need the feature like this. Or the brand will say, you know, the, the trend towards the in, in the industry now is, is security, right? We need to have more security features. And what can we do as a design team, given this the the limited runway we have for the schedule for the next system? What can we put in? And then we have brainstorming discussions on how what we can do. And, and then we have architecture discussions to, to basically design what this piece of thing would, would look like. And then we'll have individual uh, design sessions with the developer developers within the Milico team on how this should should look like. So, so for example, we would have these three set up separate discussion over the course of months. And by the time everything is 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 uh, formalized, uh, it it. it comes on to me or some other team lead to have a discussion with the, the developers who are actually going to implement the function in, in Millicode, either via a document or some group discussion on, on, on how to, to implement it. If it's a complex function, then clearly there will be a document that, that needs to describe how it's supposed to work. And do you spend a lot of time kind of, maybe arguing is the wrong term, but discussing with the, the OS guys to determine whether it should be there or... Oh, absolutely. Yes, it. yes. That that's usually in the early stages or part of the the architectural discussions, right? Because we're trying to architect the function in such a way that you know it, it's not only relevant for for this machine, but for future machines as well. So we kind of leave it, you know, although we have to define some boundaries to it, but we leave it open so that it can grow on on subsequent um, systems. And you mentioned changing requirements. Uh, the, the types of changes that come in, are they based um, primarily on market changes? Like, obviously, right now, security and encryption, you know, crypto types, yeah. types of is a huge thing. Is that something that you have to uh, address? Yes, absolutely. Even even within the, the, the firmware um, on, on Z, where there's no direct customer implications, we have to make sure that these – these firmware layers on Z are secure, and, and no one outside can modify it without without the appropriate authority. Oh, so that falls into your uh, oh, yeah. realm of responsibility, so, so, too. Certainly, certainly, yes. <laughs> as, as, as the millicode, the lowest level on the processor, we, we have to be very cognizant because at, at this layer, what we can do is, is tremendous on the system. If, if you're in millicode, you can pretty much do anything you want. So how hard is it? I mean, you mentioned earlier that there are – uh, multiple operating systems that you deal with. How hard is it to kind of look and say, okay, um, this is something that really should stay in that operating system or, or here's something that really should be kind of done across all of them. Yeah. So that, that's a tremendous challenge and, and, and it, it, it multiplies with ZVM 
right? When you start virtualizing these these functions. Uh, during the architectural discussions, um, we usually um, discuss with the teams, are you guys planning to implement this function? And if so, when? And we will sort of factor in that discussion, that, that those answers into our discussion and how broad this scope of this particular function should be. Um, if all the OSs says yes, they, they, they're planning to exploit this in the future, then the design will take even longer because we have to address virtualization concerns, which is very complex. So that drives a lot of work in, in our area, whether it's in the design as well as the implementation phases of it. Well, and that's, I think, um, you know, I, I want to make sure that came out because before you came in, you know, Jeff was saying you're an idiot. And what I wanted to prove is... Like, not true. You, you know. It's okay. <laughs> No, I, I would expect it to be very complex, right? Yeah. Because, you know, multiple operating systems attack problems in fundamentally sure. different ways. Yeah. 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 So with, when Linux came in, did your plate just essentially double in size? Or was it let's let's try to use the standard set and then optimize from there? Exactly. It was, what, 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 it was more of his, this is what we have. How can you use it? And then in the future, we start building things that they can exploit more readily. I mean, we we I can't think of any instruction that we created just for just for Linux, right? The other OSs can use it as well, but there are some that Linux would use more frequently than the other OSs, right? Mm. Or, or or the opposite, where we'll create one just for ZVM, and, and none of the other OSs have any use case to to use it at that point, right? Is um, the fact that multiple operating systems need it uh, affect? It's priority. Yes. Are, are there other operating systems? Or do some operating systems have a higher priority? Or uh, I'm not sure if they have a higher priority, but the, the more th that show a, a, a need for it, the, it's the higher priority become an all list to support it because then it becomes value for everyone, not just just one of the possible exploiters. And typically, if if uh, if the big three OSs are using it it's possible customers would also want to, to exploit it as well, right? So so then that's basically an indication to us that, yeah, this is something that we really need to to do it right so that everyone can can use it and the, make sure it's in plan. The big three being Linux, ZOS, and... ZVM. Okay. Yeah. I, I was, what? Yeah. ZVM is a thing? Come on. Where, where, no, I'm, no I'm I, I, I would have guessed TPF. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I, I would put I would put ZVM above TPF, but th that's my opinion. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe because I interact with the ZVM people more than, than TPF. Yeah, I was going to say we have to put a disclaimer here. That, uh, <laughs> yeah, my opinion don't really matter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this is not to say that TPF isn't extremely important. Oh, absolutely. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking in terms of complexity of the instructions. I would, I, I, I picture they would have like a very tight spread of yeah. of what they use because it's you know you can't somewhat limit. Uh, that that sounds bad too. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I actually in, in my 18 years, 19 years in IBM, I, I don't think I have encountered a case where TPF was you know banging on the door saying you got to support this instruction. I just, yeah. I just want to go back and say, yeah. instead of extremely limited, I'm going to say very focused. Yeah, yeah that, that would be a better way of talking about it. Oh, man. <laughs> so maybe Yeah, that was Jeff who said that. <laughs> Frank is not. My last episode of Terminal Talk. It's uh, been a pleasure. And I'll just be going out the door now. 
Brendan, you want a job? No. Um, <laughs> he said it was fun in here. <laughs> yeah, it, it was great. Uh, I wonder if maybe we can get into like some career stuff. Like, do, how did you? I would imagine if somebody really wants to, what what I see right now is people who are interested in, in writing low level firmware kind of stuff. They they buy an Arduino and they get to to hacking mm-hmm. that. Like, is how did you did you go to college saying when I grow up I want to write Millicode? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. In 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 fact, um, uh, my my major in college was computer engineering, and and most of my work was either in the on programming one of the risk architecture microprocessors or writing VHDL for some other. Um, it was never in in pure uh, assembler, right? So so when I started uh, interviewing. Uh, I interviewed in several areas within the Poughkeepsie area, and um, Millicode seemed interesting to me because it gave me a wider view of all the parts of hardware as well as the OSs. Right, mm-hmm. so so it's like a, a, a the best of both worlds. You, you get exposure to the, the hardware um, design, how it works, um, and you, you get to contribute to that design. As well as the the other side, the the, the higher up the stack, you, you have to work with the OSs and, uh, and the application teams to see how they actually use the instructions. And, and you mentioned before we started recording, and I want to bring this out: something that even I think IBMers who are listening uh, would be shocked at. You spent 19 years in the company in the same department. Yes, yes, I yes I have so far. Um, and the reason why is the, the work that we we do is is very challenging. It's you know you know you'll think that after nineteen years you get bored. You know everything. No, absolutely not. Every so every generation of of the microprocessor that we develop is different. The the microarchitecture is different. The big architecture that's published is the same, right? So the OSs don't have to to rewrite their code, right? In general. They get to add the new instructions, but uh, from a millicode point of view, those those instructions that were, were published back in the nineties that that that's still around today, that's still being used today, under the covers, we may have to rewrite that uh, for every generation because of the microarchitecture changes that we need to support and see. And because of that, the, the, you know, you know, for example, uh, multi-threading that that's something that we did start doing recently, right? That that wasn't something we were doing before. These instructions have to be now sensitive to that. That uh, that new paradigm. So, the, so my point is, there's always something new, something challenging, something that you you didn't do two weeks ago that shows up on on your plate. And and of course, the problems are the, are the worst one because as 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 times go on, the, the problems get more and more complicated and more challenging to solve. So you have a general overall timeline of processor releases, but in the meantime, you're you're dealing with customers and and uh, looking at problems. And kind of vetting what's going to happen in that next iteration. Correct. Uh, although I don't deal with customers directly, we have a, a team that sort of forms a appropriate buffer between us. And <laughs> An appropriate buffer. <laughs> yeah, because we don't want to talk to Brenton directly. Yeah. Yeah. No. Who knows what he'll say? That's testy. I, I, would, I would say the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, so just, just, to, just to build on that, one of the challenges is on 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 dealing with that aspect is you. You, you you show up to work, and and here's your you you plan your day. Here's this is what I'm going to do. But of course, left field is a customer problem from some generations ago. You have to then shift your mind from working on the future into the past. Wait, how did that machine work again? Right, <laughs> and, and sometimes like wait, is is it really? 
Is that how it worked? So you hit the filing cabinets. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. What, what were virtual thinking? filing cabinets. What were we thinking back then? <laughs> yeah. How did this work? <laughs> that's that's the, worst, really work? the worst kind of bug is yeah, like, how, yeah. not, not how does this break, but like, yeah. how did this, this ever, ever work? work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, yeah. So um, uh, 19 years, same job, mm-hmm. yeah. changed every time. Oh, yeah, yeah. What was the craziest machine in the past that you worked with? So that would be Z13. Yeah, yeah I, I remember uh, uh, talking to you when, yeah. when, when Z13 yeah. was still uh, in the test phase. Yeah. And uh, you well, had we, a lot less hair back then. We, and it wasn't gray, right? <laughs> 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 it was. It seemed like it was really challenging. I mean, you you never seemed to have a free moment. You were doing a lot of overtime. Yeah. yeah. Right. What What was it about the platform that made it so challenging? So so looking back, and, and of course hindsight is is nice twenty twenty view. Uh, there were a lot of things that wasn't working optimally. But not one particular thing. And, and it's like you try to solve one problem and it creates additional problems. And there was this, you know, complex, uh, toward order differential equation that you have to keep solving on a, on a daily basis just, just to, you know, meet the performance expectations that the system needs to have before we can, we can, uh, ship it. And of course, the ship date is not changing. So, so there, there, there goes the challenge is how, how can we, solve this problem um, before that date. And and that was my job for almost, you know, two years, trying to, you know, address all the the the, the performance requirements as well as, you know, the, the other sideshows, like other failures that have nothing to do with performance, but it, failures you, you got to look at, right? The, the problems were not isolated to one particular area. So, so Millicode was key in that in terms of, uh, helping in the, the diagnostic or the, the examination of various pieces of, of firmware or hardware that, that expose the root cause of all these, these issues that we're having. So again, it, it wasn't one particular thing. It was just too many things at, at the same time that was causing these, these issues. Um, do you use the, uh, classic mode or the new mode on when you use an essay? The new mode. Oh, okay. Yeah, good. I, I use I use the new mode. I don't think, I don't think. Well, let's put it this way: the the, the SE I typically use. Uh, I usually have a few minutes with it. Someone else is using it. Okay. And and I don't want to go and. and I've, I've I've literally seen fights start over this. So yeah. I, was, I just wanted to hear. Yeah, and, and 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 that's why I don't. You know, I just gingerly just do the basic I want to do and just leave it because <laughs> it's not my system, right? They're just giving me the 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 pleasure to. Uh, try a few things and hopefully not break it. So I try not to change the, the have to, configuration. Um, have to do an episode on the service element. And, oh, yeah. Because you know, we're throwing that term around and people were listening. Right. Yeah. What? Remember when it was OS2? You guys remember that? Oh, yeah. You, do. you sure? I do. <laughs> yeah, I did. Some of us have been around uh, quite some time. Yeah. Mm. Was was E13 the first platform that used the, the books instead of nodes? Or there was no. a change? It was where they shifted... Uh, Horizontally instead of vertically? Uh, no, it wasn't Z13. It was – I think that's the next one's coming, right? Okay. We'll yeah. edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. One, one of the things uh, after spending 
several generations of, of bring up testing on, on, on our test floor. Um, one of the things I learned is, is do your best not to do repetitive tasks, right? So the system fails. Someone, a tester would ask, well, can you take a look and see why it failed? Right. This is my first days on, on, on the bring up many years ago. And I'll, I'll take a look and I'll issue some commands and, oh, it's failed because of X, Y, and Z. You know, five minutes later, a different person, can you take a look? And, and this repeats, right? And then, of course, you know, it, it, it begs, could you automate this task? Well, after the first weeks of doing this, I started, I wrote a script to basically do this, right? And, and then I, I make it well enough where someone else can run it. And then eventually, it's now on a server where everyone uses it. So we had a bottleneck where only a handful of guys who were capable of looking at one of these failures and, and to tell you what the root cause was or who, which area needs to look at it next, right? It's hard to tell when system fails, who, whose fault is it or who should look at start the investigation. This tool I created basically put all the knowledge that I've carried along with me for the last 19 years in, in development into it so you can look at various error scenarios and, and predict or, or guess who should look at it next. And, and thinking about how many samples of data that we get in on a daily basis, it would be impossible for a few people to look at these fails manually um, just, for, just as a, a, a benchmark, the last system that we, we did, there were fails were coming in around 50 a day. There's, there's no way one person can do that or, or, you know, handful of people can do that. And, also, and of course, you know, you got to do it with accuracy. You just can't just, you know, take a guess and say, ah, oh, it might be this person or that. Eventually, people will figure out you don't know anything. Let's, <laughs> let's go to the source. And of course, the source has more bottlenecks, right? So, so what I did is basically create a tool that this automate this entire task. You, you you submit the failure to a server and within five or less minutes, you have the answer. Not not only the answer, who should look at it next, but a detailed analysis of what, what led up to that particular fail. So is this, would you write this in Java? It, 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 it's implemented primarily in... basic. <laughs> <laughs> DOS. No. <laughs> it, it's primar- primarily implemented in Python. With with uh, some Command. additional JavaScript and and AJAX and so so you have a jQuery. AJAX JavaScript yeah. Python program yeah that replaces somebody who's been working for nineteen years yeah good, good pre- job pre- what's your next much job that, that's my job <laughs> that was my job actually it's awesome you think about it right so if if yeah. twenty or thirty percent of your time is 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 spent focusing on yeah. where to send stuff yeah. right now now I have a a script that can do that in yep. a couple of minutes, and yep. and you're free to take that coffee break, right? And and the the the, the results or, or or the the summary of the fail is presented in plain English, so that anyone can can look at it and and you know be directed. Even, even Jeff, even, even <laughs> Jeff, even Jeff, wow. even my eyes on that one. But <laughs> <laughs> you have that. <laughs> yeah, who's going to get there first? Yeah. <laughs> the race condition right there. But but no, but it's in a serious serious note, this. This also works for customer fails as well. As rare as they are, they do happen occasionally, and, and, and this tool is being used for that as well. So, so our product support team uses it, and then they'll call the appropriate teams in at midnight to take a look. Say, so better be right if you're going to call, call someone in. There's no room for, <laughs> <laughs> for error. 
or even the guys who work in third shift in, in a different country, right? Um, they have no – the primary support team is not around to give you answers, so they rely on this. And it has to be right. Otherwise, they'll say, it well, Breton's to. tool said. Yeah, <laughs> but thankfully my name is not associated with, <laughs> with the tool, but people know. Yeah, what, what's the name of the tool um, so we can do that? <laughs> can't, can't say. <laughs> <laughs> See, he's not stupid. We've had uh, – we've been talking with uh, Breton Belmar, newly minted STSM senior technical staff member mm-hmm. in the Millicode – Design area. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was a, that was that was a lot of fun. I, I I I learned a lot from that. What do you mean you learned a lot? You 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 weren't even paying attention. I was. Well, no, you weren't. You're playing with your phone. What are you playing with over there? Hey, what are you playing with over there? And this episode of what are you playing with over there <laughs> is brought to you by this this thing that we found a while ago called a. Pink trombone, and as, as dirty as that sounds, and it it it, it, it kind of sounds dirty. It's it's a um, speech synthesis app. You can uh, it's at a uh, d o o d dot a l slash pink trombone, all one word. And what it does is it emulates a uh, human voice box and throat and mouth, so that you can uh, do things like this. Wonderful. So there's that. Well, I, I think we you can't just talk about a toy like that without saying some of the valuable things you can do with it. Right. So when uh, lately I've been getting a lot of telemarketer calls um, telling me all about the uh, various ways that I can spend money and uh, sign up for uh, car repair uh, warranty extensions. And uh, we, we find that they have trouble deciphering exactly what this person is trying to say. <laughs> It's also uh, very valuable if you want to um, catch up with a, um, you know, a radio voice that that you you want to use, you know, and you really want to get him to know that you're thinking about him. Sometimes we leave a message on Charlie Lawrence's answering machine message, consisting of nothing but uh, pink trombone. It's also really fun for when a, a call with like more than twenty people is coming to an end, and everyone is saying goodbye at the same time, and you just go. But <laughs> <laughs> so, so tying it back to this episode, um, I'm going to send Brenton a note and see if he can implement that in Code. <laughs> I think it's very important uh, for the business and uh, strategic. <laughs> strategic. <laughs> I think we've gone as far as we can go. I, on this I, I, I would be uh, amazed if anyone is still listening at this point. <laughs> on behalf of Terminal Talk, I'm Jeff. And I'm Frank. Dump that to tape. <laughs> You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence signing off.